This episode of the Hour on the Renewal Ministries Podcast Network is brought to you by the National Theology on Tap. We're back. We did two of them in the spring. We're doing another one very, very soon. February 12th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we are going live with Dr. Ralph Martin, Dr. Helen Alvare, and Archbishop Charles Chaput. Looking at A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. Three distinct interviews, three distinct conversations about Ralph's latest book and the themes uh, that we find in it, but with their unique take. Very much looking forward to it. You can find it on the ID YouTube channel or the Renewal Ministries YouTube channel or a whole variety of other places. That is coming up Friday, February 12th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If you'd like to register ahead of time in order to be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon card and a free copy of Ralph's book, you can go to nationaltot.com. Immediately after the National Theology on Tap, starting February 15th through the 19th, we're doing a challenge called the Still Small Voice Challenge, where we want to help you and help all of us grow in what it means and how we actually hear God's voice and act on it. So you can go to idchallenges.com. It's free, the 15th through the 19th, every day, a little step deeper in what it means to hear God's voice and to act on it. It's free, like I said, and we want to give you the best we can on how to hear God's voice. We have Father John Burns, Heather Kim, Rachel Herbeck, Marcus Peter, and hopefully a couple others come in to help us do that the 15th through the 19th. Check it out, idchallenges.com. Today on the hour, we have Father Jim Rolfe back to look back on 2020 and the key scripture verses, the five key scripture verses that informed our year, and then one verse that will help us into 2021. It's, it's a fun show. We go back and forth sharing our favorite scriptures from the last year and what the Lord has taught us in it. I think you'll find it engaging. He's always uh, up for a good time. And uh, yeah, it's been great to have him back on the podcast. He's a dear friend, and I think you'll find this inspiring. So that's coming up on the hour, our five key scriptures from 2020 with Father Jim Rolfe. But first, as always, my friend, Connor Flanagan. All right, we're back with Father Jim Rolfe. Father Jim, welcome back to the hour. Hey, Pete, great to be back with you. I thought we could do something a little different. Last time you were on, we, we talked about some of your vocation story, what it meant to be a young priest, um, what, a, what it's like working with high school seniors and, well, just high school students in general. And uh, I want to do something a little different. First time on the hour, we're going to do a segment like this. But basically, uh, we're recording this actually on inauguration day um so let's pray for our country today so this is january 20th and so we're not that far into 2021 and it it made sense to me to still uh look back at 2020 a little bit and continue to pull from the past year the insights the anointing and kind of the direction the Lord gave us as we enter this new year so what we're going to do is we're going to give you the five most important or most impactful, or most, I don't know, directive scriptures in our lives for the last year in 2020. We'll alternate. So five total scriptures, and we'll explain a little with each one, and then we'll close with, um, yeah, a quote that you've also found very inspiring. So 
Sound good? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go right away, dive right into this. Uh, you're up first. What is your first verse? Yeah, so my first verse is, uh, and maybe very indicative of what a lot of us were feeling, whether or not we knew that Jesus was actually inviting us into it. But it comes from Mark six thirty one. So that's Mark six thirty one. Jesus is talking to the disciples who have just been working. And he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And as I've been reflecting on 2020, and this was actually a big verse for me, kind of back in May, when I really wanted to be in school, ministering, doing things, working, and was feeling very alone and just kind of in isolation or literally in quarantine. And just hearing this invitation from Jesus that it's okay to take kind of a break from this work because I'm not only present in the work. I actually want to be present in those desolate places, in those places where you feel completely alone or isolated. I actually want to be in those places as well so that I can actually refresh you. And what's amazing about this scripture too is right after this is actually the feeding of the 5,000. And so because they were able to come away and rest, they received and then they were able to give even more. And so this was kind of a big verse for me early on in the pandemic of being willing not just to say, why can't things be the way they were or the way I want them to be, but actually to receive this invitation from the Lord to actually rest, to enter into that desolation or that isolation or that seeming aloneness in order to actually abide with him and to uh, be refreshed by him. Yeah. No, I think that's... uh it's a really important uh, spiritual principle here that Jesus is revealing to his disciples. He's teaching them something in this where they're debriefing from their work and his command to them is, this is really good. We need to celebrate what the, what God did through you and all that, but you need to rest. Uh, and you see that right from the beginning in um, the creation narrative, right? God rests on the seventh day. Like there's a, there's a reason why that's built into it. And I think as people who of goodwill and who have a desire to see the kingdom built, we can kind of almost pay lip service to rest in the need to be um, recharged and filled up. And we think that there's almost like this false virtue of going, 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 working, working, striving, 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 that actually turns into pride. It, it turns into this like I'm I'm capable of just shouldering this whole burden, you know, and, and moving forward. And the, the adage, like we need to be able to work from our rest, not rest from our work. Um, you know, if it was good enough for the Lord, it should be good enough for us. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, that's so good, right. Is just some of those adages as well. And this mentality that either I'm working or I'm being lazy, like I'm working where I should be working rather than I'm either working or God is actually working through the rest. Like God is present in all of it. And so how can I not so much demand that God work in the way that I want him to, but to be in the place where Jesus is inviting me and allow him to work in me to allow him to work through me. I, I think that's huge. Yeah. Well, it's a very American concept in some ways too, of this like kind of a American um, slightly humanist, uh, I don't know where, where it's like, we can, we can just create and we, we we're the ultimate fulfillment of man is to 
to build and to work. And there's no question that the Lord blesses work and calls us to work and we are required to, to work. Um, but it's not, we, we so often allow that the work to define who we are and like our being is defined by working, by, by doing, as opposed to um, our being informing our doing who we are then informs what we do as opposed to the other way around. And um, there's just lots of instances throughout the Gospels where Jesus demonstrates to his disciples, like, yeah, it's really important that you're going to go out and you're going to do a lot of things, but never at the sacrifice of who you are and your the, that restful relationship with the Father. Yeah, and I think that's a key distinction too is, does work define who I am and is my work my identity or am I it really uh, allowing myself to be? And so if, for instance, just for me, I'm, I'm a priest, I'm a, a son, I'm a friend, I'm a brother, uh, I'm a chaplain. And so from that identity flows the work. And part of that work is being resting and re- being refreshed by the Lord. And I, I think you're absolutely right in our American mindset. We tend to define ourselves based on what we do rather than allowing ourselves to be who God created us to be. And our work and our rest, our leisure, it all flows from that identity. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Scripture number one. Well done. That was a good one. All right, my turn. Scripture number two. We're going to go to the Old Testament into Deuteronomy. And this one's cheating a little bit because it's definitely not just been 2020. It's been like really like almost like the last nine years has been, this has been one of the theme verses for me. Um, But it was every bit as true in 2020 as it was in the previous years. So it counts. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, starting with verse seven. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. There's a lot of reasons why I hold on to this one, and there's several different angles that the Lord has used this, but I think there's a there's a sense right now where we need to remember the promises of God and that's what Moses is reminding Joshua is like the land to which you are going that you that you will take possession of has already be, been promised to you. It's literally the promised land. So, so much of our confidence needs to come through what God has already promised to do for us. And if you don't know the promises of God, that's where you need to read the scriptures to hear about what he promises to his followers. And ultimately, our promised land is heaven, you know, the the glory that awaits us uh, in the the prize of everlasting life is ultimately where we're going and he will help us take possession of it in him. But so that that's really important to remember the promises of God. And when you remember the promises of God, that actually generates in you a certain courage and conviction. And then, but what really helps Joshua feel secure is not just the promise, but this line, it is the Lord who goes before you he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. Um, that when the Lord promises, he delivers on those promises. That he is ever faithful, ever true. That he is completely trustworthy. Um, and certainly that requires, you know, it behooves us to 
seek the Lord's will and know what he's asking of us and what he's promising us so that we are going in the right direction. Um, but it's just been really helpful for me in terms of ministry and in terms of family life of just reminding myself it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fa- fail you or forsake you. And then uh, do not fear or be dismayed. It's been really easy to be tempted to fear and dismay in the last several months. Um, but the antidote to that is knowing that the Lord goes before you and he's bringing you to a a promise that he will keep. Amen. And isn't that amazing too, is what would my life be like if I was really informed by the promises of God rather than kind of the fears of the world? And uh, I, I think our lives would be completely different if we we're living in those truths. And I, I don't know, Pete, if you do this, I know this is something I pretty regularly do in prayer is actually go back to those promises and almost like make it a, a declaration, right? Like I believe and I declare that God is true to his promises, that he goes before me, that he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And just to be able to live in those truths completely changes the kind of like reality I'm living in because I don't have to live in this fear. I can actually live in the strength and the courage of he is in control and he's bringing me into those promises. And if you read that section of Deuteronomy, that basically happens for Joshua where the darn near the same line is repeated. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be feared. It's the Lord who goes before you. Uh, that That's like four or five, I think even, yeah, at least five different times in like a two chapter section where, or at least four times here that I'm seeing it, where either Moses or the Lord is reminding Joshua. They like understand that taking the promised land is not a small thing. They understand, the Lord understands that being free of addiction is not a small thing. The Lord understands that being uh, in the middle of a pandemic is not a small thing. The Lord understands that there is real fear that comes with the social and governmental unrest that we're seeing. Like, he gets that. And so he's repeating to Joshua over and over again, like, do not be afraid. Be strong and have good courage, you know, because I have promised to give you this land. And if I've promised it, I'm good on it because I'm going to go before you. And and so to your point about um, regularly declaring the promises of God in your life, it, it's it's not just a, you know, we're, we're, we're body and soul, right? I mean, we're not just soul. And there's something actually that physically changes with us, even in our brains, when we live in the truth and we what we declare over ourselves becomes true in many ways you know it it our brain is then convinced that this is the reality and we it it affects our behavior um this is this is this is science you know this is not just my idea like right. the lord knows what he's doing when he asks us to say things even ritualistically because it's it's uh, actually reforming our brain to think differently about the world and that then informs our behavior so Yeah, having a set of declarations, I think, is huge. And I I think along with that, too, that it's not like this happened. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in sight of all of Israel and and gave him kind of this commission or this promise. And then the next day it was all accomplished. It was much more a journey, right? That there was this whole process of them coming into the land and then them needing to fight for the land. And I know that for, for me, too, uh, and both Pete and I as athletes, I, I hope that we've learned this in our, our time of uh, preparation and training 
but I can't go to the gym once and say like, okay, I did it. I'm ready to be the perfect athlete, but that it's kind of the daily grind, right? Like I'm going to keep going back over and over again and be formed into a type of person rather than just accomplish a task. And I, I feel that way for Joshua too, that he was being entrusted with this great mission that wasn't accomplished in a day, but really formed him day by day into the leader that God had created him to be. Yeah. Yep. Amen. All right. That was verse number two. What do we got uh, for number three? means it's my turn again, huh? Your turn. So, uh, and actually, boy, this is flowing really well. It's almost like we planned all this out. Um, <laughs> the, the third one that I'll bring up is what do we do then when I'm called by Jesus to come away by myself and rest a while? And I'm commissioned by the Lord to be strong and courageous, to lean on his promises, to live in that truth. And then I fail. And so my, the third verse is going to be Luke 15, 20. And this is in the story of the prodigal son. Uh, And I I just picked this one verse because I think we're mostly familiar with this story, but this is the one that really struck me kind of in the middle of quarantine. And so uh, the verse says, and he arose as the prodigal. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And this uh, verse for me comes probably about uh, July, August, where I really felt like the previous school year hadn't ended in failure, but had definitely not ended the way that I wanted it to. And was feeling very much like this upcoming school year is going to be hopeless. It's all going to be the same thing. I'm not going to make any disciples. I won't even be able to do my ministry. And in the midst of that, and really it's kind of self-pity and kind of that sense of uh, failure. I, I really felt like this, that God, I just want to at least turn and make that initial turn back to you. And to bring to you those ways that I could have done better. But to recognize, again, this is all your work. And in the midst of that uh, kind of self-pity or that the midst of that failure, it wasn't me coming to the Lord and needing to almost explain away everything. But I really had this sense of the Father just running to meet me, that he saw me. And not just like the actions, but he really saw my heart and was willing to purify it of all, of all the self-righteousness or the self-pity and actually bring some correction there, but then also to instill it with hope because he really does. He feels compassion for us. It's not like Jesus and our father sets the bar at a certain height and he says, well, didn't jump this high. So you don't get any of my love, but that he really has compassion for us in those moments that we're struggling. And then was able to just feel the father running to me, embracing me, kind of kissing me as a father to a son and just being received by him and really this set the tone for the beginning of the year, our school year anyway, as we started the semester, just feeling like there's a completely new hope in the same way that this prodigal's life is completely transformed. I really felt like all of those negative thoughts, I was able to just give to the Lord and he was able to purify them, that I was able to receive forgiveness for the ways that I really did fail, but then also to receive his truth in the ways that I was being either too hard on myself or believing lies about the future. And so to actually receive that hope for the future of the Lord has this amazing feast that he wants to provide. And I just need to come back to him, come back into the house so that he can provide that feast. 
No, I mean the the excellent excellent choice there. Good stuff. I think one thing that always strikes me about the prodigal son parable is um yeah, that that idea that while he was still far off um which just shows us that the father's looking, but it also shows us that we we are not capable, but we're also not required to bridge the distance between us and the father that we are through our sin we are very far away from god um but through jesus christ he did something about that and the most important decision is not um well the most important decision the prodigal makes is when he turns and sets his face back towards the father's house and basically at that moment that decision leads to his redemption and but he's not i think there's just too often this common mentality of like a certain degree of holiness is required before we then go get cleaned up you know a a certain degree of freedom is needed before we are forgiven um uh, a certain threshold of remorse and it's like no i think the holy spirit is just just waiting for any glimmer any gesture any movement of our heart towards him and he immediately begins to pour out grace upon us to help us take the next step and um and it's just it's just it's just wrong to think that i have to somehow forgive myself clean myself up and then go to the father and then he'll kind of take me the rest of the way into the feast it's like yeah absolutely it's that whole argument of if that was the case, I need to be able to pick myself up by my own bootstraps and carry myself to the Father, as opposed to just as you're saying, right? Like, what's necessary is that turn and almost just like an acknowledgement, and then the Father, and especially through Jesus, right? And we we could get more into that, but that might be a little bit of a digression. But that the the Father runs to meet us in that place, then to walk with us back into the house. Good stuff. That was verse number three. On to number four of five. So this one um, comes from First John, first letter of John. And there's, so an interesting thing happened a couple of years ago. Um, Peter Herbeck, Ralph Martin, Joey McCoy and I did a kind of like a long, like long form Bible study where we met once a month to read through um, as much of the New Testament as we could, but it ended up being stuck in the Gospel of Matthew for a long time. Looking at specifically the the passages in the New Testament where um, Jesus and the other writers talk about the conditions for salvation. Basically, like, what will either include you or exclude you from the kingdom of God? And we thought, you know, it would move relatively quickly because, I mean, how many passages are there that are explicit or implicit about salvation. I mean, there can't be that many. Um, And turns out just in the Gospel of Matthew alone, there's over 60 different passages that deal with this. Uh, Again, either explicitly or implicitly talking about what is required, what the conditions for our, for our salvation, which is really startling when you think about it. I mean, it's, it's uh, Jesus, when you read the Gospels from this lens, Jesus seems really preoccupied with communicating this, like to the point that um, 
he's just wants to hammer at home. If you do these things, if you don't do these things, it, like those who do these things, those uh, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, the, the goats and the sheep and the all that you just, it's really like passage after passage where Jesus is teaching on these things. And then what you see is that continues through uh, the writings of Paul and through Acts of the Apostles and all throughout the, the whole New Testament that the, the early church was not wishy-washy on the need for people to know Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him and by him. And so, um, so with that in mind, hear this from 1 John. And I just, I just can't shake this. Uh, I, I feel like every time I give a talk, every time I am with somebody and the, the gospel message comes up, I keep coming back to this in my heart. And so this is John, the beloved disciple, right? And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Okay, I like that. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God has not life. I mean, that is just as clear as clear can be. Those who have Jesus have eternal life and those who don't do not. And, of course, just like the Broadway and the narrow way, those who are on the Broadway leading to, you know, leading to hell, can they don't need to stay there. In fact, that's the whole point of evangelization and us living mission is to help as many people off the Broadway to find the narrow way that leads to life as possible. It's to introduce as many people as possible to Jesus so that uh, they can have him in their hearts. So at the end of their life, the Father will see the, the Son in them and welcome them into the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's it's not like this has to be the case. It's just the reality of the world, though. This is how the whole thing is set up, that eternal life is in the Son and in no other place. And certainly the church in her wisdom teaches that there are, you know, there's a great mystery in terms of how those who would never have heard the gospel or, you know, uh, unborn babies and different things like that. But th fundamentally, it's still this. Everyone who's in heaven has gotten there through the grace of Jesus Christ and through the, uh, you know, through his blood, death, and resurrection. Um, and that's the core conviction of the early church. And that should be our core conviction today. Yeah, and that's, that's a great reminder for us, too, that there really is this impetus, this need for evangelization as well, but that it has to be made manifest in my life first, right? And I, sure. I think for, for us to really receive that, um, and I would even make the argument that it's not just eternal life that can only be found through the Son, but it's even the fullness of life here. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus says things like, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I have told you these things so that your joy may be complete, that the, the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, that the Father and the Holy Spirit want to have for us, and the way that the church is set up is actually supposed to be incredibly life-giving, not just a set of demands or a set of regulations or a set of limitations, but really that whoever has the Son has life isn't, I would argue, just about eternal life, but is even about life now, that if I'm really going to live the fullness of life that I was created for, I can't do that without Jesus. Right, right. No, it's, it's really true. And it, it, he is the, the stumbling block. He is the stone that has been rejected. He is the, you know, he's the, the sword, really, 
that that separates uh, mankind that we have to deal with Jesus. We have to deal with what he said about himself. We have to deal with um, what he reveals about our condition, what he reveals about the Father, what he reveals about himself. And um, and if we're wishy-washy on this, then the whole edifice, the whole thing is is weak. It's It's cracked. If we don't believe in our hearts that if you have the Son, you have life. And if you do not have the Son, you do not have life. Yeah, and um, there's no half credit, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, you know, last day of the semester, hey, is there any extra credit I can do to make up for all my missed work? That it doesn't, like, I need to make the decision, right? That, right. yeah, I can't go halfway. Am I in? And of course, Jesus meets us where we are, but he's going to lead us to that fullness. Right, right. And, and God's mercy is is always present and available right to the moment of death, right? All the way to the end. And even the worst sinner has the hope of, of, of turning away. Um, but we, as the people of God, who do not stand in judgment, uh, that's not our job. But our job is to help as many people have the opportunity to encounter Jesus and, be, and hear the truth and then make that decision that has eternal consequences, you know? Yeah. And I think there's that key distinction too uh, that you're bringing up that it's much better to evangelize and love somebody into truth than to argue and convince them into truth, that there's something to uh, like bringing them to a place of decision. And I do think that this is, is what we need to do. We do need to help people make this decision uh, and to do it in such a way that they can actually in almost step into it with their whole heart and their whole mind rather than just saying, well, I'm going to win this argument. It's I'm going to evangelize both heart and mind and bring you into the fullness of this truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. All right. Number five, close this out. This was uh, just over, over Christmas um, was reflecting on this and it's just a very simple verse, John 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, you know, I've, I've heard this verse hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I've even preached on this verse before, but it just hit different in the way that I was reading it and the way that I was praying with it over this Christmas uh, season. And in a particular way to be, and what an amazing blessing to be able to be a priest and to celebrate mass. And I don't remember if it was specifically on Christmas or if it was a couple of days uh, before but during the consecration, just these words were really on my heart, really on my mind. And I'm just kind of looking at the host in my hand and just the question like, Jesus, why? Like, why would you do this? It doesn't make sense. Like the whole beginning of John is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And it's just like amazing, right? There's this grandeur and this uh, just pureness in the sense of who Jesus was in the fullness of the Trinity. And yet the word became flesh and dwelt with us. And we can look around the world and see what would it be like to be in that place of perfection and come down to what we are living. And yet Jesus does this out of love, that he does it because he wants to transform us from the inside out. And I, I love that uh, I'm, and I, I am not a Greek scholar, 
but uh, this word is, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Mm. And it's such a way that he's kind of like, uh, he's, he's setting up shop. He's setting up a home with us so that he can invite us in. And just experiencing that this Christmas, that in his perfection, Jesus chooses to become like us. I don't have the answer why besides this is love and God is love. And that he's chosen to do this so that he can establish a place where I can actually come and abide with him now. And it, it was just amazing to be able to, in that moment of consecration especially, this is the word made flesh. And now not only am I abiding with him, but he actually wants to enter in and abide in the temple of my body that he has made for himself. And so just a great way to end the year. Yeah, it's just like such a fundamental part of the God's rescue mission that in his divine wisdom, this was the way he determined to reconcile all of us to himself, uh, to send his son and to take on human flesh and to take on all that, that comes all that comes with it other than sin and, and to live among us. And I mean, just the, the Emmanuel God is with us. I mean, it just, it's such a radical, radical, impossible idea uh, that for whatever reason we can kind of think in our minds like, yeah, okay, it makes sense that that God would dwell in that big, beautiful building over there, you know, um, or up on a mountain somewhere on, on top of an altar. And for all of humanity, humanity's been trying to create places for God or gods or whatever to exist, you know, and, and our God, the one true God, just destroys all of that mentality and subverts it by saying like, I'm going to become you and then I'm going to live in you. Um, and then I'm going to feed you with myself. Like that's just, I mean, when you really stop and think about it, it's just totally outlandish, you know? I mean, exactly. only, only yeah. through faith could one possibly believe this. But when, when the gift of faith has been poured into your heart, you go, Oh my gosh, it's, it really is true. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. Cause it, it doesn't make rational sense. Only, only love makes this possible, right? And love makes you do crazy things. But, and I, I don't know, I was kind of reflecting on this later. And uh, I, I do wonder what would it have been like if I was kind of like privy to these decision-making processes? And I, I would have been like, hey, God, yeah, I, I don't know. There seems to be other ways that you could do this that yeah, right. wouldn't, wouldn't involve so much humility or suffering that would be much easier. Don't you think that would be the way? And yet to be able to just receive this gift of the word actually taking on our flesh and dwelling with us it is just amazing. Yeah. All right. Those are our five verses. Let's quick recap here. I got Mark 6, 31, Deuteronomy 31, uh, Luke 15, 20, 1 John 5, and John 1, 14. Pretty cool. It's a good um, list. Yeah. Good stuff. Now, shifting gears slightly, what's uh, what's a one verse that you feel like might in one? Yeah, and so I'm I'm going to actually just go straight from, well, almost straight from this verse. And maybe this is just on my heart because we just had this gospel the other day. Um, but what's really been on my heart is actually the, the calling of the disciples in John's gospel, which uh, comes just a few verses later. 
and it's kind of 29 and I'm going to go up to, um, well, actually probably all the way to 34. I'm sorry. That's not true. I'm going to go from John one 35 to, uh, 42. And this is just Jesus calling his first disciples in John's gospel. And what I've really been focused on for 2021 is how am I called to enter into discipleship? And there's kind of, I would argue, three different relationships of discipleship. First, I need to be discipled by someone. I need to be a part of a group of disciples who are kind of peers. And then I need to be discipling others. And that has to begin from the top down. And what's happening in this verse is we just talked about the word becoming flesh and dwelling, tabernacling with us. And as the disciples start following Jesus, it says uh, the two disciples heard and started to follow Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And there's this invitation from Jesus as really the master disciple, come and live with me, abide with me, walk with me, watch me, see what I do, and then I'm going to give you the chance to do it as well. And so for 2021, one of my big focuses is going to be discipleship. And I want to live with Jesus to watch everything he does and then to actually start doing those things myself. And as I start doing those things myself, to actually start training other people to do the exact same thing. Yeah, that's good. Very good. I affirm that. I like that three different relationships of discipleship. Should hold on to that. That's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast, I think. <laughs> it could be. I was trying to be yeah. brief. Uh, no, that's that's very good. All right. Well, my verse, uh, at least that's informed the beginning of 2021, and I think we'll have some bearing moving forward is Acts 7.54. This is the culmination of Stephen's trial. So Stephen is dragged before the Sanhedrin. And um, basically the same men that put Jesus to death, he's in the same situation. It's a trumped up court, false charges. And he just, man, lays it on them over a series of a bunch of verses, explains the scriptures to them. They get really mad. And this is what it says. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him. You know, Jim, you know, Donovan, my four-year-old boy, he, uh, he's just like discovering how to be angry. Um, and like one of the things he'll do is he'll like, he'll go like, you know, like he'll like put his teeth together and like (laughs) kind of make a noise. And when it's a four-year-old, it's like adorable. But when grown men are so mad that they grind their teeth, that's pretty terrifying. Like that's that's remarkable. This is what Stephen is looking at, and then this is his response. And this is why I picked this verse because it's like I would love to be so filled with the power of God that when people who have quote unquote authority over me are this mad or this put off or whatever, this is what happens. This is how I would respond. Please God. He says, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Basically, they are grinding their teeth. They're trying to intimidate him. They're mad. They're ready to kill him. 
and he looks above them into heaven and sees the glory that is his master's and will soon be his. And it's like, oh, that eternal perspective, that understanding of I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to the next through the power of God, and that whatever I face, my eyes should still elevate to the truth of who I am and where I'm going and who I serve. And that changes the whole thing. And it, 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 it strengthens your heart. It helps you persevere. And it helps you to do what he does in a few verses later where he forgives them. And um, so, yeah, uh, this year I just like, come whatever comes, whatever comes in culture, whatever comes with being a, a public disciple, that I might be able to elevate my eyes and look into heaven and, and marvel at the glory of, of Jesus. So, Amen. And I, just to throw this out as an example, a more modern day too, is somebody like Mother Teresa, who was, if for all intents and purposes, very short of stature, that uh, she didn't have like this incredible theological training or political training. But when she spoke, people listened. And she was able to really speak truth into people's hearts because she wasn't looking down at what the world was saying, but she was always focused on what the Holy Spirit was doing. And I, I love that image, Pete, of I'm not going to choose to be overwhelmed by the anger and kind of like, quote unquote, righteous indignation of people around me, but I'm going to choose to stay focused on the truth that that's and the eternal perspective too. Yeah. Just amazing. All right. Well, we, uh, this has been awesome. Why don't you close us out with a, a quote that has been uh, informing some of, again, the past year for you and some inspiration for moving forward. Oh, yeah. I actually forgot we were going to do this, too. But uh, I've also been reading um, what I kind of uh, joke about is the second greatest book after the Bible is Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings. And uh, it really has been very informative for my faith life as well. I've read it before and just uh, was rereading it. And it's in the second book. um, For those who aren't familiar, uh, all of the, the good guys including King Theoden of Rohan and Aragorn, who's the rightful king of Gondor. They've been fighting this battle at Helm's Deep where they're hopelessly outnumbered. There is no one coming to save them. And they've been pushed back. The walls have been breached. And they're kind of hiding in this top tower. And the doors are about to be beaten down. And so this is really their last stand. And and this quote has just really struck me. Uh, King Theoden says, so much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? And Aragorn responds, ride out with me, ride out and meet them. And then Gimli, who's in there with them, he's the dwarf that's been fighting with them, just comments and says, the sun is rising. And so what happens is Theoden and Aragorn ride out to meet this really force of reckless hate And as they're riding out, the sun begins to rise. And with the sun comes their salvation, comes their help, because Gandalf the wizard comes with all these reinforcements who are able just to ride through and really bring about the victory. And so in my heart, I think that we can be so tempted in the reckless hate of our culture and in all the ways that I feel personally attacked or uh, just feel like there's 
there's no way out of this. All I can do is run and hide with our brothers and sisters around us to ride out to meet the enemy. And again, the enemy not being our other brothers and sisters who are lost, but our enemies being the powers and the principalities and to really go out and to do battle in such a way that with my faith and really with my love, I will ride out to meet them, but to recognize that the sun is rising and this not just being S-U-N, but especially with the son of God rising, he has won the victory. And as we ride out, that he rides in at the same time with his power and with his glory and the heavenly hosts to bring about a great victory, even when all seems to be lost. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think in, in the times we're living in, there's such charged, uh, there's just a lot of uh, tension around the concept of battle right now in, in, certain, in violence, especially since what we witnessed at the Capitol and, and all that, like, well, how, what do, what do good men do in this time? And I think one of the things that must be held in harmony is the, the love for everyone, compassion for all mankind. We are called to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us while also striving for justice and, and goodness and that peace and, um, you know, the kingdom would prevail. So it's, you know, I love that quote because it's it's about um, properly identifying the enemy and then taking the appropriate step, and in the midst of that, still trusting that the Lord is the one who ultimately delivers victory, now or in eternity. And uh, I think just too often we don't actually properly identify what we're battling against, and and therefore whatever behavior we choose to do is not commensurate with what we're actually dealing with. And um, which is why Ephesians 6, as you quoted, is so important with the armor of God. And we can close with that. Everyone should go read Ephesians 6. Remember what we're really battling and then what weapons we have to for that fight. Um, so, Father Jim, can you uh, close us with a blessing here and then we'll get on our way? Absolutely. And I'll kind of close us with a prayer and then a blessing because, uh, and I, I'm almost positive this comes from St. Ignatius, but it just ties in so well to what we were just talking about. So we'll close with a prayer and a blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, help me to love you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to labor and not to seek any reward, save that of knowing that I do your will. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, and it's been great being with you again, Pete. Hopefully we'll be able to make it happen again soon. For sure, for sure. We'll be in touch. All right, see you. Yep, God bless. Special thanks to Father Jim Rolfe for coming on the hour and sharing his heart and what the Lord had done through Scripture in him in 2020. And uh, we'll have to get him back because it's always fun to have Father Jim on the pod. Just a reminder as we close out the episode to check out the National Theology on Tap. February 12th, 9 p.m. Ralph Martin, Helen Alvare, Archbishop Charles Chaput talking about a church in crisis pathways for nationaltot.com. And then don't forget to check out the idchallenges.com to learn more about the still, no, yeah, the still small voice of the spirit and how we listen to it. This has been the hour. I'm Pete Burke. We got some more episodes in the hopper. I can't wait to share with you. 
Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast so we get more traction on Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify and everywhere that anyone might listen. We're hoping you are enjoying it. It's been fun to get some of the feedback from some of you out there listening, and uh, we're going to keep doing it. we got a new podcast coming down the pike called the Spirit-Filled Leadership Podcast. I'll tell you more about as soon as that uh, has a little bit more teeth to it, but we're excited about where the Lord is leading us. Okay, I'm Pete Burek. This is The Hour. Felt it, I knew it was real and it was here to stay